Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Let me begin our talk about non-duality. Certainly of all the things I'm going to talk about, this is by far the most challenging because it's not an object. It's really not something you can talk about, although... I have several shelves of books about non-dual practices from various traditions. It's very important because if we go back to our conversation from last week about death, and particularly about conscious dying, my sense of it is, and what all the scriptures say, is that we die into non-duality. To the extent that you've had some practice during your lifetime, resting in this state, then dying will be another experience of that. And to the extent that we have been clinging, sometimes desperately, to duality, then the dying process will be potentially very frightening and confusing. That doesn't mean that you have to be a meditation practitioner. It doesn't mean that you have to study Dzogchen or Advaita Vedanta or all the other any of the other names that non-duality goes by, but that you have become comfortable in resting in spaciousness. And whether you do that by meditating or by raising twins or by spending a lot of time in nature 
or being an artist, it really doesn't make too much difference. Although, in my opinion, meditation is the most direct way to actually go into the space of non-duality. And I know, for instance, that some of the people in the room here have had very powerful direct experiences of that. At the same time, I would say that everyone has, has had experiences of that, although often we just don't recognize it. It is very similar to the normal natural mind. It's not necessarily something that's uh, special, but it is special only in the sense that we don't recognize it because it is so familiar. We have been, over the last weeks, investigating a developmental path of spirituality, going from being motivated to having an embodied mindfulness that, in the embodied sense, includes grounding and centering, to beginning to explore the heart, first through compassion, and then devotion, gratitude, forgiveness, other heart qualities, and then going into the stage of Tantra. Now we're culminating this exploration in the exploration of uh, non-duality. And consequently, we're trying to create a foundation so that we can rest in and bear the sense of non-duality. There are other teachers who go directly to the end stage and say, here it is. I'll give you a temporary guided experience of non-duality, and then let's see how you can stabilize and maintain this in your life. There have been some wonderful studies showing that people who have extreme PTSD coming back from the wars, for instance, or uh, acute depression, when guided into a temporary experience of non-duality, are able to go beyond feelings of hopelessness and helplessness and realize that even though, yes, they do have these problems, quote unquote, that these problems are contextualized in this vast spaciousness and that they can then go back and do other kinds of therapies or practices with a renewed sense of ability to see that they are much more than just what these problems are. Eckhart Tolle, I'm sure many of you have heard of him. He was on the Oprah show uh, about 12 years ago when his Power of Now book came out, which was very popular. And after being on Oprah, he had a podcast or a webinar or something where 6 million people were tuning in. Now, I would suggest, however, that whether you're following Eckhart Tolle or Richard Miller or Ramana Maharshi or Adyashanti or Gangaji or all these different wonderful, wonderful teachers, I'm in no way saying they're not doing a wonderful job of teaching, that it's very difficult to stabilize and remain in the state without the foundation practices that we've been talking about. And in my mind, that's why I'm really attracted more to Tibetan Buddhism than to Hindu and other ways of looking at non-duality. Because they say very clearly that non-duality comes out of 
first of all, a strong foundation in devotion and then compassion. That by going into the spaciousness of the heart, then we begin to open into this tantric phase, which we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, where we begin to see that we can separate sense objects from ego clinging to these objects. We begin then to have a, a much vaster experience of our minds. So that just going directly to that state of openness can be quite remarkable, can be quite inspiring, but very difficult to maintain because in a sense, non-duality is what we die into, die into even in our lives in the sense of letting go of there is an I who is experiencing it. We will do a few guided exercises to have a taste of this. I'll do a lot of conversation about ways of intellectualizing this. But I would like to just very clearly say to myself and everybody that it, it's, it's not about the mind. In fact, in working with dying people, the best thing that I can do is not say really intelligent things or here's all my experience about conscious dying, but can I go into the awakened mind and merge my mind with the mind of, of the client? No matter how clever what you're saying, how true, how inspiring what you're saying to somebody who's approaching death, if you're still identified with, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm who I am is going to die, then the communication is, in a way, profoundly superficial. To the extent that I can be resting in that which does not die, it doesn't really matter too much what I say, right? I can be doing stand-up comedy and something is being transmitted about nature of mind. So I'd like to read a couple of quotes from teachers of mind who were teachers of non-duality. First of all, John Klein said, the longing must be felt but not formulated. The longing must be felt but not formulated. So that non-duality is about going on going beyond conceptualization. Can we feel that longing for wholeness without understanding it, without conceptualizing it, without trying to put it in a box that can be analyzed and figured out? And Trungpa, a wonderful teacher of non-duality of Dzogchen, said, the Dharma will haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> the Dharma will haunt you for the rest of your life. Because we have that sense of that wholeness. We know that that wholeness is there. Once we've begun to touch it, once we began to touch it through practice, it's impossible to get away from it. We become addicted to it. In fact, I was at a, at, when I was at Naropa and teaching with Trungpa, uh, he had a weekend retreat. And at the beginning of the retreat, he said, how many here have not meditated before? And uh, maybe, I don't know, 20% of the people raised their hands. And he said, I would advise you to leave right now. Because once you've started, you won't be able to leave. <laughs> and it's going to be really, really difficult. Which was, of course, the perfect sales pitch. Nobody left. Everybody would say, well, uh, I'm going to do that. We've created a foundation. 
being embodied, mindfulness, open-heartedness, tantric understanding. And I really understand that that foundation at times is a bit shaky in this part or that part for some of us or all of us. But it allows us now to begin to explore the sense of non-duality. So first of all, I'd like to do an exercise. And as I said before, non-duality really comes much more naturally out of an open heart than just by approaching it in an intellectual fashion. What I would like to do now is do a short guided meditation. But interestingly, uh, for non-dual practice, it's often practiced with eyes open because closing your eyes tends to set up non-duality, tends to create duality. I'm meditating and then I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to be not meditating and there's this duality between meditating and not meditating. So see if it's possible to, and I know you're, you've got a, some kind of computer or telephone screen right in front of you, but see if you can look above that, look off to the side, and ideally, if there's even some spaciousness, you could look out of a window. One of the practices is called sky gazing, where people uh, go up on a mountain or they go to the beach, there's a vast sky, and the exercise is you you bring the sky into your mind. The vastness of the sky comes into your mind. We're not doing that right now. But what I'm saying is if you're looking at something 12 inches, 18 inches in front of your nose, then it might make it a little bit less spacious. So begin, please, by invoking that which is love, that which you trust. letting the heart begin to feel more and more spacious. In practice, we could do this for a much longer time. It's just deepening the experience of the heart, trusting the heart, even though the mind will continue to arise, keep coming back to the sense of surrender into the heart, trust, relaxation, spacious heart. And now, as you breathe out, let the mind go out with the breath. You breathe out as if the mind is going off into space in all directions. Off into the sky, above, below, behind, right, left. And let then with the in-breath, the mind comes back into the body. Breathing out, let go into spaciousness and particularly pay attention to the moment right at the end of the out-breath. That moment in which there is nobody breathing out. There is no content, just spaciousness.
And then on the in-breath, come back. We don't need to go deep. We don't need to create something. A clear and very normal mind, lots of space, no technique, a panoramic view. And then, then beginning to let go of this, paying attention to the breath and just resting in the sense of spaciousness. And in this spaciousness, dissolve your senses. Any identification with hearing or seeing or thinking. Dissolving thoughts and emotions. Dissolving the observer. Dissolve the I can't or I will or how am I doing. Dissolve seriousness. When we dissolve into space, fear will arise. Dissolve the fear, the need to understand who you are. Don't struggle, don't be distracted, yet nothing particular to do. Distraction comes from the need to survive, the imagined I needs to survive. Dissolve that struggle. Dissolve even the expectation of surviving. Just resting whether the mind is moving or not moving. Dissolving this fundamental deception of the need to survive, which causes aggression and lack of space. Very simple, very familiar, but resting in a place that often comes and goes rather quickly. Immense clarity, immense relaxation. It is not just bare attention. It's not looking at the mind. It's not looking at thoughts. It's looking through them. What is the nature of thought? Is it all empty? 
the nature of senses, dissolve into that emptiness. Okay, then gradually coming back to the room, eyes still open. Post-meditation, very important. Can we bring this sense of spaciousness, non-meditation, nobody meditating, nothing a distraction, deep trust in this relaxation into post-meditation? Thoughts will continue to arise. The essence of non-duality is non-grasping. Sensations, thoughts, perceptions, emotions, the body, the mind, continue to arise. There is no grasping. Identifying with the spaciousness. And as the guided exercise implied fear will arise because the ego is used to being reified, to being identified with, to being thought of as something that actually exists. Confusion arises when we take discursive thoughts to be real. So we're turning in a different direction. We're not going out we're not going in, we're going straight. And what straight feels a little bit like in because we're so used to going out. I don't know if that makes any sense, but we're letting go of being fixated on what's out there, fixated on what's in here. What is it that is the subject? We're not trying to change or let go of the object. We're letting go of the subject. Up until now, we've been purifying the subject through mindfulness, through love and compassion, through a, a tantric relationship with the subject, the sacred nature of who we are. Now we're letting go of who we are, no subject. Which is why it is important to enter into this practice from a place of love, which softens this dying of separateness. So that the more we do this, the more we begin to trust the nature of reality. Otherwise, we get caught up in discursive thought. Fear is based on discursive thought. Grasping creates confusion. Grasping creates fear. So we look at the essence of each moment, this empty essence, the, the quality of essence of mind is some combination of great clarity and emptiness. And the union of clarity and emptiness is naturally arising compassionate activity. These are ideas. Please let them come and go very lightly. In the beginning, the problem or the issue or the practice or the non-practice is 
recognizing essence of mind. In Tibetan, it's called Rigpa, R-I-G-P-A. Recognizing Rigpa. Recognizing that place of there's not an I who is experiencing. There's no subject and object, which is why it's called non-duality. Eventually, then, the problem becomes making Rigpa become more alive and then finally stabilizing it. It is something that is so close, so familiar, so ordinary that we fail to recognize it. So that we're doing these exercises to notice that place, that place that is often most apparent when we're not thinking, but is there when we're thinking, and it's most apparent often at the very end of the out-breath, when we just let go, there's not even I who's breathing out anymore, there's nothing happening. That space at the end of the out-breath. So, as we're doing this practice, thoughts will arise. I'm distracted. I need to look at the essence. I need to come back to what I was doing. Those are just empty thoughts. Can we trust this letting go moment to moment to moment? When a thought arises, instead of trying to understand the thought, can we go to the essence of mind? If we can't do that, can we see the nature of the thought? Because the thought is empty. It's just like a cloud in the sky. Recognizing and non-grasping is the key. So we're not even holding on to the present moment. We just rest where we are. No effort is needed. But when we lose it, there is some effort needed to come back to no effort, particularly in the beginning. So like, for instance, if you were saying mantra or if you're doing Tong Len, that can be done from a dualistic mindset. And that's what we've been doing so far. I am doing Tong Len. I am saying a mantra from the invocation, trust, embodiment stage, you're saying a mantra, and you're asking for relationship. You're invoking relationship. And as the mantra deepens, there's a relationship that happens, one of love and compassion and devotion. And as it deepens further, we go into the tantric stage, where we see that it's all the mantra, that it's sacred. But finally, in non-duality, there's nobody saying the mantra. The mantra is saying itself. In the Bible, it says, pray without ceasing, which is kind of a, almost like a coded way of talking about non-duality. How can you pray without ceasing? If there's you who's doing it and you who has to eat and sleep and drive an automobile, you can't do that if you think you're doing it. You can't pray without ceasing. The only way you can pray without ceasing is by resting in non-duality, where the essence of the mantra is going on all by itself. It's all the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word is God. It's the same with Tong Len. In the beginning, there is an I who is doing a love and compassion practice for another person, for a group of people, or for part of myself. But eventually... As we're doing Tonglen, can we look at the essence of the person who's doing the Tonglen? Resting in the essence of mind, 
rather than I'm doing Tonglen. Tonglen is just happening. No grasping. Vast natural spaciousness. So as long as we have a reference point, then we're actually not doing this practice because there's an I. A reference point creates duality. In, in Tibetan, they talk about capturing the royal seat. There's nobody sitting. There's just the seat. <laughs> there's no way to sit on it. That's why it's royal. No, no reference point. No thought of, oh, now I'm seeing essence of mind. As soon as you know you're doing it, you're not doing it. <laughs> 